Luke chapter 19. We're going to look today at Luke 19:45 through 2018. Uh, and as you turn there, I would just remind you, as we heard uh, in our offertory music, that today we come before the one who is worthy of reverence, worthy of fear, worthy of love and devotion, worthy of bowing and bending of knees, worthy of all this and added to these. It's going to be hard for me to start, isn't it? I got you up there. Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 45. It says, And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him. And they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Well, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death. For they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and laid it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give, uh, give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant. But they also beat him and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let us kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it stands forever. Let's pray together. Father, as we come now to this portion of your holy and inerrant word, Father, the truth is, is we need you. We need you to speak to us. We need you to apply these words to our hearts and to our lives. Father, here we see... Jesus before us in his majesty and his glory. We see him crucified. We see that this chief cornerstone that was rejected. So Lord, may we today, we bow in his presence. May we today hear his word to us. We'll be pleased to meet with your people. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. A question of authority. Uh, well, in our sort of postmodern society where, where everything is, is relative uh, and where there is supposedly no absolute truth at all, uh, it's not unusual to find people, uh, maybe even ourselves, 
questioning the legitimacy of almost every kind of authority. You know, when there is no God, uh, when there is no ultimate lawgiver, uh, when the only thing that is true are the things that, that I feel, the things that, that I believe, you know, anything from parents to teachers uh, to governments to, to leaders, any of those things that impinge on, on my truth, on what I would want to do, well, those things have to go, right? They have to be dismissed. And so we see in our world today, uh, we see wars and we see riots in the streets. We see people treating positions of authority once respected, once held in the highest regard uh, with open contempt, maybe even open hostility to the point, to the point where we may be tempted to think uh, that authority is being questioned now, maybe more than it has ever been. And look, we can surely say that, that it is more open than it has ever been, right? It is more visible, maybe I should say, than it has ever been. Uh, and certainly it is a necessary result of the overall sort of philosophical uh, beliefs that, that are out in our world today. Uh, but, but what I want to submit to you is that having said all of that, we should also recognize that this rebellion, that, that this need to rule ourselves, it's one that does not begin in our time. You know, if we look back just over the course of our own country, right, you think back to the 60s and to the 70s, you think back to the Civil War, you think back even to the beginning, to the Revolutionary War. All of these are, are, are pushes against sort of the establishment, right? They're, they're pushing against those who are in authority. If we go even farther back than that, if we think of kingdoms, if we think of monarchies, if we think of, of people who have reigned, uh, dynasties, eventually we can hear the cries uh, for independence. We can hear the, the cries for self-rule. And then, of course, if we turn to Scripture, what we find in the story of this book is a constant rebellion, right? It's a constant need for humanity to push back against the established authority. Go all the way back to, to Genesis 3.15, right? Go all the way back to the very beginning of this book. What was the first lie that Satan told there? Did God really say you can't eat from any of these trees? Did he really say that? Oh, he, he, you surely won't die if you eat of it. He knows, he knows if you do that, that you'll just be like him. He just wants to keep the authority for himself. And so from the beginning, what we have had as humans, any of us that are descended from Adam, and that's every single one of us, the question has been, who will rule? The creature or the creator? That the struggle that we are witnessing out in the world, that we are witnessing in schools, that we are witnessing in our homes, it is the struggle that has been present from the beginning. What we see in our passage today is that it was a struggle that was very much alive and well as Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey last week, accepting the, the worship of his disciples and thereby declaring himself the, the Messiah, the long-awaited king. Pharisees, they see it all and they say, what right does this man have to, to rule over us? What, what right does he have to make such declarations about himself? 
Why should we or anyone bow to this man, this poor, homeless, nearly friendless carpenter from this podunk place, Nazareth? What right, what authority does he have? It's a question of power. It's a question of authority. What I want to submit to you today is that whether we recognize it or not, whether we are consciously wrestling with it or not, that that question of authority is one that that each of us must consider. It's a question that, that each one of us wrestles with almost every moment of every day. It is, in so many words, the, the human struggle. Who will rule? Will we rule? Or will God? Will we submit to Him? Will we bow before the King of all creation? Or will we be little g-gods of our own destiny? Will we rule ourselves? Friends, as we move through this passage today, that's the questions that I want you to keep in mind. What we're going to find here is that there's only one person to submit to. There's only one king who can rule over us, and that is Jesus Christ our Lord. And for those who refuse to submit, the consequences are drastic. The consequences are, are clear here in this passage. And so... Let's look at it together. The first thing that I want you to see here is authority displayed. Authority displayed. And of course you see it there as Jesus cleanses the temple. Uh, Now you'll recall that that all of this is happening uh, at the beginning of Passover week. And so Jerusalem is surely a city busting at the seams, right? Uh, Thousands of faithful Jews, they have sort of made the pilgrimage to this place in order to to observe the proper religious ceremonies, to make the proper religious sacrifices. And all of it centers around this place. All of it centers around the temple. And so we can imagine all of the hustle, all of the bustle that is going on there in the temple square, there in the temple itself. People are everywhere. It should have been a holy time. It should have been a time of prayer and of worship and of sacrifice. Instead, as we turn to the verses here before us, what we find is that it has actually become an opportunity for great religious corruption. You see all these pilgrims that had come to make their sacrifices. What did they have to have? They had to have a sacrifice, right? Now certainly they they could have brought their own, but remember the sacrifice had to be spotless. It had to be blameless, right? It had to be pure. And who were the ones that got to make that decision if the sacrifice was worthy or not? It was the priest. And so you could bring your sacrifice, but there was no guarantee that, that it would pass muster, right? And so rather than have to, to lug this animal all the way to the journey to, to, to the temple, rather than have to face the priest, what, what did they do? They just began to, to buy these animals there from the local merchants who set up shop both outside and inside the temple. And as we see here, these men were were partners. Uh, They were under the authority of, you guessed it, the priests and the scribes and the Pharisees. In other words, those who should have been most concerned with the proper worship of God. 
those who should have been most concerned with the souls of God's people, instead, they were concerned with lining their pockets. They were concerned with making a profit. They had turned God's house, His temple, into a mockery. And so as Christ approaches the temple that day, what He finds is not a house of prayer, it's not a house of worship, but it is a place of big business. It is a place of religious fraud. And to put it mildly, He is not happy about it. And I say, to put it mildly, he is not happy. Jesus here is what we actually might call extremely angry. What I want you to see in his response here is his authority. And you see it in two ways. First, you see his authority here in the actions themselves. Jesus comes and he cleans house. Matthew says he throws chairs. says he flips tables. Mark said he was so angry, he was so committed to getting everyone out that he would not even allow them to carry their goods with them, right? He is pushing them out of this place. Luke simply says, he began to drive out those who sold. And we hear that, especially the, the table flipping part, and we think, well, that's something reserved for like WWE, right? That, that's, that's wrestling type. This is an anger. We have to ask, what, what kind of anger is this in our Lord? Can, 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 he, can he do this? How can he act this way? Well, we need to recognize here that this is a holy and righteous anger. It's a holy and righteous anger at the sins of the people, but specifically at the sins of these Jewish religious leaders. They had been given the care of God's people. And what had they done with it? They had not led the people towards God. They had not led the people to worship. But they had led the people in this sham, in this fraud. Maybe more importantly than that, they had led the people to, to defame the name of their great God. Look, look at, at what Christ says there in verse 46. The, the first part of that quote that he gives is from Isaiah 56 in chapter 7. I want to read it to you. Uh, just a bigger uh, section of the context there. It says, And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord. Now recognize that. The foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to him, to love the name of the Lord, and to be his servants. Everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast my covenant. These I will bring to my holy mountain. And make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. The Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel declares. I will gather yet others to him. Besides those already, already gathered. Now the reason why I read all of that is because I want you to recognize those verses are about nothing less than, than the, the global ministry of the gospel, right? Mr. Rodney's already talked to us about Minute for Missions this morning. Th these verses are about that. This is about the, the foreigner, about the outcast coming in. Well, friends, how can the foreigner come and worship God as he was intended to be worshipped 
when they have taken his house and made it what? He says there in the second half, a quote from Jeremiah 7, you've made it a den of robbers. In Jeremiah's time, the people were, were sinning against God. The, the priests, the, the ones who were in charge, were not serving the way that they should. Done that again here. It's a place that should have been a, a place of prayer. It should have been a place where, where, as we've already said this morning, God's name was hallowed. It is none of those things. Instead, it is a den of robbers. So Jesus he takes action. He takes action. Angry action. He cleans house. Notice the authority in that action. How many people were in the temple that day? We've already said the place had to have been busting at the seams, right? Passover's coming. The, the thousands of pilgrim, pilgrims have descended. How many people were in the temple that day? Alright, now, how many people was Jesus? How many persons was Jesus? That's not proper English, but you know what I mean. How many, how many was Jesus? One, right? What does it say? It says that Jesus seemingly single-handedly cleansed the temple. Now, you know, it doesn't, Luke doesn't say, and none of the other gospel writers say that this was a miracle. But what I will submit to you is that whether it was a miracle or not, what those people saw that day was not merely a carpenter from Nazareth. What they saw that day was not merely any other man. What they saw was the authority of Almighty God. Right? He comes in and he reminds them of what this place should be. He reminds them of who he has claimed to be. He demonstrates here the authority of the king. We see his authority in his actions, but I also want you to notice here that we see his authority in his words. In cleansing the temple, he had quoted scripture already, but now, having claimed that holy place, what does he immediately begin to do in, in verse 47? It says that he was teaching daily in the temple. And notice over in verse 48. It says that all the people were hanging on his word. It reminds us of Luke chapter 4 and in verse 32. You remember Jesus has declared himself the one from the scroll of Isaiah. Now he's gone out. He says in verse 32, And they, the people, were astonished at his teaching. For his words possessed, what? Authority. Possessed power. Surely here, as Jesus once again takes his place in the temple, he begins to speak these words of God. They recognize that authority. They recognize that he is unlike the rabbis, unlike the other Jewish leaders who had to speak based off the power of someone else, right? Just like today, I speak based off the power of the word, off the power of God, right? They had to speak based off the power of, of rabbis, of other people's opinions, but when Jesus stands up and speaks, how does he speak? As one who has the authority where? In himself. Not, not from somebody else. No one is giving it to him. He has the authority from the Father. You can see it 
in his words as he speaks. Friends, today again, I would submit to you that that same power that he spoke with there in the temple is the same power that he speaks with in these words today. He still cuts to our hearts. He still uses his words to transform our lives. We see his power on display, his authority displayed. Secondly, in this passage, I want you to notice authority questioned. Now, Everybody surely could see the authority that Jesus was speaking with, but not everybody would submit to it, right? Not everybody would bow to it. And so these Jewish leaders uh, once again come to him, uh, and in verse 2 of chapter 20, they say, tell us, by what authority do you do these things? This is the, the question of authority that we begin with. Or who is it that gives you this authority? Now, in many ways, as we've already said, this is the, the, the right question to ask. Uh, but as we can see here, they're, they're not asking the question for the right reasons, are they? That these Pharisees are not asking it because they're genuinely concerned, because they genuinely, genuinely want to know. Uh, but instead, as usual, they're, they're trying to, to catch Jesus. They're trying to expose him so that they might go ahead and kill him. They might take him to the cross, as he says in verse 47. This is a trap meant to expose the Lord as a lunatic or as a heretic. Uh, But notice, the the fullness of time has not yet come. uh, And it was a trap that that Jesus was not yet willing to to fall into. So instead, uh, he sets one of his own. Uh, He he answers the the question with a question there uh, in verse 3. He says, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, uh, was the baptism of John from heaven from man. Now, in one sense, for the Pharisees, this was, was and should have been a fairly easy question for them to ask. Uh, these men hated John just like they hated Jesus, and so they clearly didn't believe he or his baptism uh, was sent from heaven. But uh, to acknowledge him would have been to acknowledge Jesus, right? Because who did John come declaring? He came declaring Jesus, right? And so to acknowledge that that he had any authority, that he had any right, would have been to acknowledge Jesus here. Not only that, uh, but many of those who were in the temple that day, they would have received John's baptism. And they certainly believed that the things that John had done were from heaven. And so these men are stuck between their convictions on the one side... Uh, And they're stuck between uh, stoning on the other side, right? That They know that if they speak against John, the strong possibility is that the people will revolt against them. And so recognize what they do here. Watch how they respond. They don't try to weasel their way around it. They don't try to justify their beliefs. They simply say, we don't know. We don't know. We're agnostic about the whole thing. Now, friends, that that may have been the right response to get them out of the predicament that they were in. I want you to recognize the judgment in Jesus' words in verse 8. He says, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The thing they needed to know most, the truth of Jesus... He now withholds from them. Now certainly he's doing it 
with purpose. But he now withholds from these ones who will not recognize his authority. His authority, his power has been on full display. They saw it when he cleansed the temple. They saw it when he rode into Jerusalem. They've seen it in his words, in his acts, all of the things that he's done. Yet they refuse to submit to him. Before we move on, I just want to say to you today, so many people in our world, when they think about Jesus, when they think about God, their, their response is, I just don't know. They're agnostic, right? And they think that there's some measure of safety in their agnosticism. They think, well, if I don't completely deny Jesus, then, then maybe if I just say I don't know, then maybe I'll be okay. But friends, what has Luke shown us? What has Jesus declared over and over and over again in this gospel? Is there a middle ground? Is there a place that we can stand and be safe apart from Christ? The answer is no. There's only two ways. There is Jesus, or there is the other way, right? And so agnosticism is not safe. It will not protect you. And the truths about Jesus, as they are as clear today as they were here in the temple. He has declared himself. He has shown himself. Don't miss him. Don't stand in the middle ground. Well, to further show that authority, he doesn't declare himself openly here. But, but I want to submit to you that he does show himself. Because it's, it's interesting to me that immediately after saying, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things, he goes on to tell this parable of the wicked tenants. A parable that, that may be uh, certainly as much as any other parable that Jesus tells, lays out clearly for us exactly what he had come to do, right? It shows us with clarity his authority. By what authority he's doing all of these things. It shows us with clarity what is soon to come. It shows us with clarity what the end will be. And so quickly, with the time we have, let me, let me just go through this parable. Uh, one commentator says, you know, usually with parables, it's not a good idea to try to uh, attribute characters, to try to figure out what each person is, right? Uh, they're not normally that way, but this one is. It, you can do that with this one pretty safely, okay? And so that's what I want us to do as we move through. Verse 9, it says, And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and led it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. So notice your characters there. You have a man, a man who plants. So a man, a guy who is planting a vineyard. If you go back to the Old Testament, consistently that imagery of a vineyard represents who? Represents Israel, Right? So here we have God planning his people, establishing his people. He lets it out to tenants. Who does Jesus give authority of his people to? The priests and the scribes and the kings. What do they do with that? He says, well, when the time came, he sent a servant. Again, think back to the Old Testament. Who did God send? Prophets, right? He sent them over and over and over again. And the tenants, to the tenants, so that they would give some of the fruit of the vineyard. Notice what the tenants do. And we know the reality of this. We could go back through the pages of the Old Testament and find this over and over and over again. But the tenants, they beat the servant and they sent him away empty handed. 
What does the, the master do? He sends another servant, and they do the same. And then he sends a third, and they do the same. Again, the point here is we see redemptive history unfolding in the words of, these parable, of this parable that Jesus is telling. God plants, he establishes his people, he gives authority to the, the priests and the scribes, he sends the prophets, and they reject him. He, he sends the prophets with his very word, and they reject the prophets over and over and over again. And so, what does he do? What, what shall I do are the words of verse 13. Send my beloved son. Don't miss that, that little word. My, my beloved son. The son whom I love dearly. Now I want you to recognize there's a clear distinction of authority that has happened here. It's one thing for me to send a servant. Certainly, I cherish that servant. I maybe even love that servant. And that servant has my authority when I send them, right? But... Things change when I send a son, my own flesh and blood, one that I care for and love above all things, right? That's what's happening here. So authority has, has changed when the son comes. And to some degree or another, the tenants recognize it because what do they say? Here's the heir. He, here is, this is big time. The heir has come. Rather than bowing to him, rather than recognizing him, what do they say? They say, well, let's, let's kill him so that we might have the inheritance. He says, and they threw him out of the vineyard. They killed him. Friends, Jesus is not just telling a story here. He's telling his story here. This is a story about what he had come to do. This is, uh, one commentator said, this is predictive prophecy, right? This is him telling, I don't know say this. that's not the word I was looking for. Because predictive prophecy, that's a nice one. That's a well, you know what I'm trying to say, sorry. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Jesus is telling his own tale here, right? What he's about to do. He is the son, the beloved son who comes with the authority of the Father, with the blessing of the Father, with the love of the Father. How will the people react? They will kill Him. They will throw Him out. Now recognize what the people say. They, they, they understand somehow that this is about them. The Jews know Jesus is speaking directly to them. Surely not. Surely it will not be this way. Surely we, of all people, will not lose our blessing. Surely we, of all people, will not be turned away. Don't miss, don't miss verse 17. How would you like to be a fly on the wall for this? It says, he looked directly at them with force, right? Remember that authority he had cleansed the temple with? Remember that? It's back right here. He looks directly at them and said, What then is written? Again, the authority of his word, its own display, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is Psalm 118 all over again. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. Friends, 
the Son comes and He is sacrificed. He is killed. But what will the result of that be for those who reject Him? The Father will destroy those tenants. If you know your history, you know that in A.D. 70, the temple was destroyed. That these priests, these people who had done this to Jesus, they were destroyed. Rome came in and they leveled the place. So on the one hand, we see the fulfillment of what Jesus has already said in history. I want you to recognize that this is not just merely something that's happened in the first century. That what Jesus speaks of here, of those who are tripped up by the cornerstone, that judgment still awaits. That there is a time coming where the wrath of the Father will be poured out on all, on, on all iniquity. Where sin will be judged. Where all of us, every single one of us, will stand before Him and give an account of what we have done. Friends, the reality is, is apart from the cornerstone, apart from Jesus, there is no hope. Notice, not only will the Father pour out His wrath, but how will He do it? There at the end of verse 18, it says the cornerstone will fall on those people. Jesus Himself will bring the judgment. It says it will crush Him. His authority. Again, this is a sermon about His authority will be displayed once and for all. The question is, will we bow? Will we submit to this great King? The joy of the Gospel is yes, He does have a righteous wrath against sin. He does have a righteous anger that He will pour out. But He is also gracious and merciful and kind. And He invites even sinners like us to come into His presence. To come and bow before Him and to worship. To bring your sin. To bring all of your shortcomings. All of your failures. Bring it to the cross. He, in just a few short pages, is going to do that. He is going to go to the cross and He is going to bear the wrath of God for His people. The the crushing that we deserve. Remember, go back to Isaiah 53. Right there at the end, it says, it will fall on anyone and it will crush him. What does Isaiah 53 say? It pleased God to do what? To crush His own Son. He crushes Him for our sake. For you and for me, as unworthy as we may be, He loves you that much. He has shown you Himself in the pages of these words. In in these words. Don't miss it. Will you today, will you bow to this great Savior? He has all authority. He has all power. I invite you to come bow to the King as we pray together. Father, we praise you. We thank you for your love for us, a love demonstrated at the cross.
a love demonstrated in sending your beloved Son to come and to die for sinners like us. Lord, we are challenged every day with various kinds of authority. Lord, the, the temptation is to submit to so many different things, most of all our own authority. We want to be in control of all things. But Lord, help us to see the truth of what we've heard today. Jesus is the King. That He will only have first place. That He will come and He will judge. We don't say those things to to scare us into decisions. We don't say those things to, to intimidate us. But it's the reality. It's the truth. That absolute truth that we must all face. So Lord, help us to to search our hearts. Help us to ask ourselves the, the hard questions. Help us to put our trust and our faith in the only one who can save us. Jesus Christ our Lord, we ask in His name. Amen.